And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. A special edition of today's show because tomorrow is a very special day. The Family Leadership Summit will kick off officially now. We've had a few unofficial kickoffs, as we talked about earlier this week, but this will be the official kickoff of the Iowa caucus season. We are 186 days until the first votes are cast in the 2024 election. So we are going to spend much of today's show previewing the event, previewing the people that will be there, talking about the people that will not. Uh, The stakes that uh, are at stake in this event. We'll be talking to one of the people that is planning on attending. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will join us at the top of the second hour of the show. But if you want to watch the coverage tomorrow, we are going to have stem to stern, coverage of the Family Leadership Summit right here on Blaze TV, including an exclusive for subscribers, Glenn Beck, getting interviewed by Tucker Carlson, who will be the interviewee, the host of this event. Tucker Carlson interviewing Glenn Beck from the stage. You don't want to miss that and so much more exclusively here on Blaze TV. Just go to blazemediasummit.com. Again, that's blazemediasummit.com. Use the code SUMMIT. For your Blaze TV subscription, you'll get a massive $30 off. That's 30% off. Can't beat it. $30 off your Blaze TV subscription at blazemediasummit.com. Again, blazemediasummit.com. And then at the end of the show today, use the code SUMMIT for the discount, by the way. Then at the end of the show today, if you guys don't mind humoring an old man, when you start getting ready to turn 50, you just you start looking at big picture stuff. You know, like how much time do I got left? Am I maximizing the time I have left? What have I done so far? Has it really been worth it? You know what I'm talking about, you know? Sure. You know, you get a little, um, uh, you get a little perspective. You start, you realize that you're on kind of the downside of, of time to make an impact. And, you know, long-term future isn't quite as, well, that's often the far off, especially after you've, you know, nearly raised three kids, as Amy and I have. And I had one of those moments over the weekend, and I shared it with you guys. And uh, I thought it'd be interesting to share it with the audience, too. So we'll do that in the final segment of the show. But before we do all of those things, let us begin with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away? Steve, you asked me to kind of do an introduction for the Family Leadership Summit, which, again, is tomorrow. Kind of introducing the main speak. I'm sorry, the <clears throat> presidential can't <clears throat> uh, national voices. Thank you. Yes, that we will all right. hear. Yes. I didn't want to do that because that seemed boring. So instead, I'm doing it a different way. Here is, I guess you could say, a roast for each of the main speakers. <laughs> Tucker Carlson. We'll start off with Tucker Carlson, who spends at least as much time getting his hair just right as he does interviewing Andrew Tate. Nice. That was about a two so and a half hour, two hour interview. interview, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, Ron DeSantis, who recently returned from Egypt to uh, it's recover. working, by the way. His hair is a lot better than mine. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Um, and mine, too. And most people's. Who, uh, Ron DeSantis, who recently returned from Egypt to recover the semen of King Tut, <laughs> which is used by elites like Paul Ryan to recharge their life force and stay younger longer. Nice. Nikki Haley, who looks at the possibility of thermonuclear war like Joe Biden looks at his morning pudding. Oh, that's not even a parody, brah. Vivek Ramaswamy, who announced uh, this week he's making pyramid schemes great again by giving those who raise campaign funds on his behalf a 10% kickback. 
You can also donate to uh, Vivek through Amway, I'm told. Uh, Tim Scott, who is like a, a hot dog, sounds like a delicious meal. Then once you find out what it's made out of, in Tim Scott's ca- case, the swamp, it immediately loses appeal. And finally, Mike Pence. That's your introduction. <laughs> I was like frozen waiting to see what he's going to say. And then there was nothing. That is absolute tremendousness there. No question about it. I don't know if that's how you wanted to start this out, but here we are. It's it's as good as any other start. Let's do this and and have this conversation right off the top. Let's talk about who is not there. there. There are two people who were invited to come. Not everybody that is running was invited to come and Frankly, I kept forgetting to ask our friend Bob Vanderplatz what the criteria was for who got invited and who did not. Like, I got a, I got a text last night from our, uh, our colleague Sarah Gonzalez, and she's like, hey, man, do you know why Larry Elder didn't get invited? And I was, my first reaction was, poop, I forgot he was running. I, I forgot that he declared oh, he was running for president. There you go. That's right. an answer. Number two, though, uh, that was my first reaction. Number two was, hey, I'm a longtime fan of his work. I don't know the answer. I, I don't know what the criteria was that the family leader used to decide whom would get an invite and whom, whom would not. Um, I do know there were two people that were invited who chose not to come. Let's start, and then we'll spend the rest of the time talking about who will be there. Let's start and just get it out of the way now. The two people whom were invited and are not going to come. Bobby Kennedy Jr. never responded. Donald Trump turned down an invitation. They are not coming to this event. This would be the largest gathering of activists in one in one setting in Iowa, more than likely between now and when the caucuses take place in 186 days from now. All right. So your thoughts on the two men who decided not to come? Well, listen, I'm not shocked in the least that Kennedy is not here. It. it it's one thing for him to perhaps have a a private uh, or an interview uh, with Tucker on his show or on Twitter or something like that, or even Bob, Bob Vanderplatz, uh, a back and forth. But listen, he is running uh, as a Democrat. He's trying to convince people that he's the alternative to Joe B- Biden. And he, of course, because of the other places he's going, he's absolutely trying to... Uh, poll votes from the right like Reagan did uh, from the left. But I don't think it actually makes any sense for him to go in front of the entire voting base uh, of the uh, Iowa uh, Republicans here. It's just, it it, it sends messages, quite frankly, that I don't think he can control. Um, So I I do understand that uh, Donald Trump uh, is the opposite. Uh, he should hear, should be here. The system, uh, the thing that got people to rally to him early on, one of the things is that they knew that this somehow this thing ha- had to be broken and built back up again. And maybe Donald Trump didn't have all the answers for uh, putting it back together again, but he sure know how to break the thing. Uh, and now he he seems to have become the very thing that he claimed to despise this is a swampy action for him not to be here because this thing that bob vanderplatz and the family leader do it is the antithesis of this swamp it is pure uh grassroots and donald trump just thinks he's above it now and that's disappointing aaron 
largely share the sentiments there. I would say if you were asking me which one is the bigger surprise not showing up, it would be Trump, but neither neither surprised me. I, I didn't expect necessarily Donald Trump to, to show up. It wouldn't have surprised me if he did. That's just the mercurial nature of, of Donald Trump. But it's one thing to not show up, as Todd alluded to. It's one thing to show up because, you know what, this organization doesn't really do me any good. Bob doesn't really do me any good. So I'll just kind of kind of um, tiptoe around this and move on and you know, get on message on something else. It's another way to do the way he did it. Calling out Kim Reynolds, you know, the governor, the beloved governor of this state. He's doing it, of course, in the most Donald Trump fashion possible, which is maximum collateral damage and fallout. Now, I'm not saying that this is akin, you know, attacking Reynolds is akin to a nuclear ball. That's bomb. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there's no way for Donald Trump. I don't think he know, knows any other way than maximum, maximum collateral damage. And that's just how he that's just how he rolls. I want to share with you this column from the Las Vegas Review Journal. It is written by a guy named Victor Jokes, I think is how it's pronounced, J-O-E-C-K-S. And on his uh, Twitter feed, it says he is a Christian, husband, father, review journal columnist. So that's his stated belief system. I don't live in Nevada. I'm not familiar with Nevada media, but he appears to be the, the, the token conservative columnist at the Las Vegas Review Journal. He wrote yesterday the following piece. I'm not even going to give you the title. I'm just going to start reading it. Republicans should nominate a presidential candidate who has a realistic plan to win it all. At the moment, that is not Donald Trump. Trump visited Las Vegas over the weekend. He may have come primarily to attend UFC 290, but he did speak at a GOP event. Before his visit, I wrote that he needed to answer this question. Given your assertion that the 2020 election was stolen, while you were running the government, how are you going to win in 2024? This might be the best question, the most germane question of the entire th- Trump candidacy. I think actually. I read this earlier this did week. Did you read this earlier? Yeah. Okay, this is the first I I, did not. I saw it right before the show. I was saving it here. Okay. During his visit, I mean, that's something you see on Twitter. Trump, uh, Trump's the only way can win. Well, but elections are rigged. Okay, so then why, do we, why are you so worked up if elections are rigged? What are we even doing here then? If, I mean, I think they're rigged, but if you think they're irrevocably rigged and unwinnable, then what's the point, you know? Anyway, the author goes on to say, during his visit, Trump did an interview with Megan Barth of the Nevada Globe. She asked him a version of the question. How do you win in 2024 if the system, in your word, in your words, is rigged? Trump responded, quote, you have to swamp them. They're cheaters. They cheat. They lie. They're horrible. You have to hope the courts get tougher because they see a lot of it, end quote. This isn't an answer or a strategy, especially if you accept Trump's version of what happened in 2020. He fancifully contends that Democrats in the deep state stole the election, but this time his supporters can outvote this far-fetched conspiracy. What? Are we supposed to believe that bad actors willingly give up this enormous power, expecting the courts to intervene as a baseless wish, not a blueprint for success? Barth then asked, how do you win Nevada? Quote, I think I won the last time. I think I won both times by a lot. End quote, Trump said. The author, there's a reason the first step in Alcoholics Anonymous is admitting you have a problem. If there's no problem, there's no need to change. If Trump thinks he won Nevada in 2016 and 2020, he won't change. If he doesn't change, he'll lose this state a third time if he secures the nomination. Quote from Trump in his speech, quote, if we don't win this election, this upcoming 2024 election, it will be a country no more. End quote. 
The implication here, intentional or not, is that Republicans must nominate a candidate with a realistic path to victory. The stakes are too high to do otherwise. Trump's personal freedom likely hinges on if a Republican wins in 2024 or not, too. We've been saying that. Trump's answers on this subject don't inspire confidence. Swing voters want an alternative to President Biden's awful policies, not someone fixated on a version of events from 2020 that most swing voters reject. Contrast this with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. In an interview with me this year, he said that he opposes ballot harvesting, but he's not going to fight with one one hand tied behind his back. Quote, whatever the rules are, it's our responsibility as Republicans to utilize those to our advantage. So Nevada allows ballot harvesting. We need to ballot harvest. End quote. The author says support DeSantis or not, but at least that's an actual plan. Another way to tell that Trump will have general election troubles is to watch the media attacks. The Washington Post tried to slime DeSantis for having a loving relationship with his wife. Yes, really. The Atlantic was scandalized that he didn't like schmoozing with other politicians. Vanity Fair called him a, quote, unlikable jerk. Liberal journalists don't like Trump, but they're holding their fire in a bid to destroy the more electable DeSantis in the primary. Before you vote for Trump, ensure he has a realistic plan to win the 2024 election, because at this point, he does not. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Tell me more. Well, it's also amazing, just listening to it, that... (laughs) We share almost the exact same set of priors as Donald Trump on this and reach the exact opposite conclusion. He says, I totally got screwed last time. They at least tried to steal the election if me if didn't flat out steal it. There were no repercussions whatsoever, no consequences. And oh, by the way, there was no red wave. But I'm going to win this time. We agree with everything, but we say, but that's why you can't win this time. So we need to see a plan of how you're actually going to overcome what the math says. I, that's what's amazing to me. There's, and it makes, it's the most frustrating thing because it makes it seem like, oh, no, no, no. You just, see, now I see where your error is. Mm-hmm. There's your variable you're missing. Now, if mm-hmm. you have the, oh, and then we can, oh, okay. Because that happens sometime in politics. It, there's a lot going on. But no, like it's like everybody's done. We see the math. There it is. The equation is clear. And you think the answer is X, and we think it's Y. And that's, not, and that's like this entire debate on the Twitter sphere as well. You just cannot be bothered to see the other side in any way, shape, or form. The degree to which Ron DeSantis... And by that, they can't be, the, the Trump side of things can't be bothered to see the DeSantis side of things. So much so that he, he's got to be turned into, and this is from the Trump, he's been turned so unfairly into so many things that their side, again, just doesn't, there's no self-awareness that what they're doing to Ron DeSantis it's just a sign of uh, another sign of their invincible ignorance. You you appear to have no plan for anything. Not n- not in how you're running this campaign uh, against Republicans. Not on how you're running uh, ultimately can uh, defeat Democrats uh, when things are stacked against you. I they're, they're all of their all there is is id. Aaron. What the hell does you have to swamp them mean? Do you know what that means? That was part of Trump's yeah. quote, answer to that question. What does that mean? I know a lot of Trumpistas will come back and say, 
don't, you know, we can't unveil our plan, then they'll be able to counter us. And no, 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 no. Oh, they, they certainly will counter you if you actually do have a plan that you're keeping under wraps. However, we're going to need more than that. We're going to need more assurances than that. There's another guy in the race who's, you know, telling you exactly what he's going to do to give himself the best shot to defeat the shenanigans. The shenanigans is putting it lightly, of course. He's just going to say, we're going to ballot harvest. Should be illegal everywhere, but, you know, this is not a battle of virtue here. This is a battle of will and votes, yep. and we're going to engage in that. If cheating's lawful instead, now, then it's not cheating. Yep. In, instead, Trump, who should have the motivation more than anybody else, more than anybody else in this race, to make sure that he doesn't get bamboozled again, you have to swamp them. With what? What are you, what are you talking about? I hate going here. I don't know how much time you want to park it here, Steve. I hate going here. But Shannon Joy, our friend, she was on the Dace Group a few weeks ago. She talked about Trump being an asset of the deep state. Now, I bought into the the unwitting asset theory, an actual living, breathing asset, not so much. It's these types of answers that I'm like, what? There is no plan here. I'm trying to look for Occam's Razor's angles here. And you invite suspicion, you invite um, disdain when you don't have a clearly spelled out plan when making the claims that he's making. It's really frustrating, which is a phrase we use a lot when talking about Donald Trump and strategy. Very frustrating that we can't just get some sort of pat answer. Even if it is, yeah, let's just go ballot harvest. In fact, he's saying he won't ballot harvest is what he said last week. He said he's not going to ballot harvest. I've got all the votes I need. We're not going to ballot harvest. So... Okay, let's switch gears. Let's talk about who is going to be here this weekend. Let's start with, since Trump's not here, who will be the biggest star now? Tucker Carlson, formerly of Fox News, returns to Iowa. He hosted this event, or he spoke, he was the, he was the headline speaker at this event last year, and, and, and the crowd loved him. And then we had a private dinner with him afterwards. He was tremendous in that event as well. Now, he comes here now to, to, to host the event. He will be the one interviewing the <coughs> national voices, candidates he'll be the one interviewing them 25 minute interviews a piece so longer interviews than he ever did on fox those would sometimes be his opening monologues every night and of course those he shined where that was concerned but this would be a different form of interview than what he has done before what do you expect and want to see out of him on friday with the candidates i want i want there to be some window to the soul question that goes beyond maybe even the life issue, but I think that could be one of them. But I think it's easy for any Republican to say, yes, I value life. I want some window to the soul question. And I think it would be really clarifying, actually. And this is in Tucker's wheelhouse. And I want a clarifying question, the same question for each of them. You know, each, each candidate can get their own kind of, uh, you know, specific questions. But I think something that would be in Tucker Carlson's wheelhouse is asking about what's going on in Ukraine. I think that would be a window, if, if it's asked in the right way, I think that would be a window to the soul uh, for a lot of these uh, <clears throat> national voices that are going to be here tomorrow. Todd, before you give your answer, let me tell the audience about our friends over at My Patriot Supply. If you are concerned about the direction of things, you remember those numbers we ran off with Daniel Horowitz yesterday, the consumer price index yes. numbers on virtually everything? Yikes. All right. Make sure 
you've got a backup emergency food supply. Get the four the four week emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. That's breakfast, lunch, dinner, even drinks and snacks. The full complement of two thousand plus calories that you need to have peace of mind of knowing that you're prepared just in case Let's Go Brandon hits another level. Go to preparewithdace.com right now. Save $200 off each kit. That's $200 off each kit and free shipping. And free shipping, you can't beat it, at mypatriotsupply.com. That's where you want to go right now. No food shortages there. No higher prices there. Get ready right now. Mypatriotsupply.com. Again, that is mypatriotsupply.com. Well, uh, Tucker Carlson recently was on a Russell Brand's podcast. And Thank you for reminding me of that because I still need to watch it. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't see all of it. I've seen clips. But they, the two of them had a conversation about uh, American architecture in general and how this is one way uh, that people uh, are attempting to kill the good, the true, and the beautiful. And we think of like stark East German or North Korean, but but they put it side by side of the architecture uh, of Western civilization up until very recent memory uh, with, you know, just your average street you drive down today with all of the signs and it's every I mean, heck, your average suburb is like little Vegas, you know, just it's neon and stuff. And it says, you know, this is it over time. It just it's it's the fish swimming in water thing. You don't. You, you, it, it dulls the senses to what is actually worthwhile, and you, you don't even aspire it to it anymore. My point in bringing that up is that Tucker is genuinely interested in uh, kind of an, an aesthetic, and he's good at digging that into that in people's lives as well. He, I, you, no matter what you think, even if some of these people, I don't... I, right now based on policy i couldn't possibly hope for them you you may respect them more as a person because of the kind of questions or a lot less but tucker will ask the questions that make either one genuinely possible there will be he has the capacity to bring depth to a conversation that quite frankly few have shown either they're capable of or care to bring aaron yeah, I already answered. I mean, I think I, I think anything that would provide a window to the soul, uh, one question for each of the candidates, that's what I want to see. And and done in a way that Tucker Carl, only Tucker Carlson could uh, could do. And I think I think asking about what what are we actually doing in Ukraine? Just ask what are we doing there? You know, what's what's actually going on in Ukraine? I think that would be a fascinating answer to listen to. I mean, Real Clear Politics had a story out yesterday. Quoting one senior aide to a presidential candidate, quote, this isn't prepping for an interview. It's an interrogation, end quote. And, you know, my response when I saw this yesterday is, guys, this is the hardest job in the world. This is the hardest, most important job on planet Earth. Only one person gets to hold it at any singular time. Only one person gets to hold it at any singular time. And... It shouldn't, therefore, shouldn't it be hard to get the job? Like, it, shouldn't it be uniquely challenging to achieve getting the hardest, most important job mm-hmm. on earth? I hope he does interrogate him. It doesn't have to, interrogation doesn't have to mean belligerent, and that's not really his style anyway. But I hope he does ask, as you said, Aaron, some revealing questions. I hope we do find out what makes these people tick. I hope, I hope he asks all of them, what is the end game in Ukraine? 
what does winning look like? What does that look like? Lay that out. We're just going to do this indefinitely. I mean, yesterday we went through this dog and pony show where NATO said, no, we're not going to put Ukraine in NATO, but we're going to give him a crap ton of money and do a photo op with him too and hand him cluster bombs. What the hell is... He should... This is a hard job. I hope he does interrogate I agree, him. but you, you seem to be assuming, and maybe you have inside baseball that I don't have, but based on the conversation we had with Bob earlier in the week... And he's the one running the show. Like, there, there's not going to be a lot of direct policy. At least, did something change about what may happen? I'm not asking for 25 minutes of direct policy. I, I'm okay with, like, five minutes of direct okay. policy. Yeah. Okay. I think Bob would be, too. I think what, what Bob doesn't want is a debate. He does not want Tucker to debate the candidates. That, and that's not an interrogation, mm-hmm. actually. You, they need to be asked hard questions. Yes. Because we're at a point in time right now, we need some hard answers. We need to know what those answers are. And, and the benefit of the Iowa caucus process is it, it's, it's one of the few places where you have to provide some of those answers, where you can't just dump millions of dollars in ads on TV, blitzkrieg the airwaves, oh, run a shallow campaign I and walk away. A great question to an- ask any of them is what is evil and what is good? Mm. <laughs> you know, basically, yeah. I think those would be great revealer questions as well. That's a great way to do the kind of interrogation. What are the opening questions? Like, I remember I did an interview with one of the leading GOP establishment hacks in Iowa when I was a local host. And uh, one of my buddies gave me some advice before we were to do this interview. He said, you need to, you, your instincts are going to be, you're going to want to debate him. Because you know he's a fraud. And you're, you know it. And you're going to want to debate him. He knows that you know he's a fraud. And so he is going to be ready with pat answers to your attacks that will be generic and shallow enough and then you won't really have time to dig into him and so you'll just move on to the next one he's just trying to survive and he's 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 ready to go he is he is prepped to just he he knows he has to come into your studio he looks like a wimp and he knows he gets he knows you have permission to completely destroy him if he doesn't show up so he knows he has to show up he's going to be prepped to just survive and get out of there and he's got the four or five talking points he's going to say to deflect and move on and check the box. You need to figure out how to ask questions that force him to truly expose himself. And he goes, here's the question you need to ask on every issue. He said, ask him, huh? Ask him what he thinks about an issue. And he'll say that he'll say what you want, what what you conservatives want him to say. He'll say that, but then say to him, can you tell us, can you point to us what you have meaningfully done? But that's on that issue. What have you done on any of these issues? Talking about the past is yeah. crucial, not a theoretical future. Yep. And we can do that, as you've laid out many times, because both these, it, they weren't in the Senate. Right. They aren't just a businessman. Who didn't, and well, some of them are. But the two guys that we're particularly interested in, he can absolutely do that with them. Talk about what they did in the very recent past. What is the evidence? So that... Get them talking about themselves. Correct. You know, so, so that's all I did in this interview with this guy. I just asked him a million times, huh, can you point to our audience to what you've done on that? Mm-hmm. You claim you're pro-life. You know, what have you done on the issue? And he, I mean, on almost nothing. Right. He could point to almost nothing he did. And it never got nasty. It never got contentious. I kind of did at the end when he figured out that I had completely pulled his pants down doing this. But I forced him to expose himself in ways that if I had done what I wanted to do, which is red meat grab a knife and a fork and go for it, all right? He would have probably figured out how to shuck and jive against that, right? Mm-hmm. But by just saying, oh, okay, hey, cool. Eh, what have you done to show your pro-life? I mean, you ran for governor, this guy did one time. I mean, I mean, what'd you do? And he had nothing of substance on any of that stuff. And, I, and that scored more points than debating him would have done. And I think Tucker can certainly do that. Yeah. If 
thoughts on that, Aaron? I agree. And I, I think this can be done, and I think Tucker is uniquely uh, capable. We'll see if he's willing, but uniquely capable of really revealing, revealing what makes people tick without, you know, uh, starting to yell at them and getting into a debate. I think, I think he'd be uniquely capable at doing that. I just, uh, I'm not sure really what he is, what he's curious about with these candidates. I don't really know that because as we, I think it, he's clearly curious about Ukraine. That's that's we, his COVID, yeah. Steve Day's COVID issue. It, it appears, and yeah. that's hey, that's 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 fine with me. If I don't have a problem with it either. Yeah, yeah. that's fine with me. But uh, yeah, we're going to see. I mean, I think he's uniquely uniquely qualified to to do what you just laid out. It, if before we get out of here, Tucker Carlson. Disappointed us if he blanks. Ooh, that's makes it all about Trump. I don't think he Man, will that's do that. A fantastic I can't. Question. I can't. I can't think he'd do that. But if he brings up Trump more than like twenty uh, percent of the questions or what have you, I'd, well, that'd be a disappointment. That's doing it directly. It would also be bad if he does that indirectly mm-hmm. by making. Not, you know, keeping this whole thing as shallow as possible so it comes out that this is basically somehow just GOP business as usual. It makes it hard for all the candidates to rise above just the vapidness of the questions. Again, I can't imagine that in my head, but if it happens, that's disappointing. All right, let's come back, talk about the candidates who are going to be interviewed by Tucker Carlson when we return. Steve Day Show. Do you have odors in your home you just can't get rid of? Now you can get rid of almost any stinky odor with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier that gets rid of the strongest odors for odors from cooking. Even cigarette smoke, litter boxes, trash cans, even that mildew smell in the basement is no match for the thunderstorm that works within seconds to clear your room of almost any odor. Plus, there's no costly filters that you have to replace out of your own pocket, right off your own time. All right. With over 350,000 thunderstorms already sold, thousands of five-star reviews online, including quite a few five-star reviews from within our audience, you know it's going to work. And right now you can save $200 on three Thunderstorms, the three-pack for whole home protection, three units for under 200 bucks. Just go to EdenPureDeals.com. Eden, like the place we were kicked out of. EdenPureDeals.com. Use the discount code Steve. EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code Steve. And you get free shipping at EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code Steve. All right, let's talk about, we're going to talk Ron DeSantis next hour because he's going to join us on the show. So he'll get his own time period. And, and now without Trump there, from a candidate standpoint, he's the alpha. Okay. Let's talk about everybody else. The next, I think the, the, the interview that has the, because remember, Ron DeSantis is Tucker's governor like half of the year. He splits time between Florida and Maine. I know, I know for a fact they know each other very well. So there will be some rapport there, some commonality there, some, com, some you know, rapport there, even though Tucker's been very favorable to Trump recently. I think the one that has the most potential for, uh-oh, is Tucker and Nikki Haley. Let's start there. Because yesterday we've got Nikki Haley, you had this in the rundown air, and Nikki Haley saying, let's have World War III by mm-hmm. admitting Ukraine and NATO. I mean, telling a, guy, a country, Putin, that, that this is his red line, putting Ukraine and NATO. I mean, I don't know. 
I, I can think of maybe there are reasons to fight a nuclear war. I, I don't think the sovereignty of Ukraine for me happens to be one of them, I guess. But if we were if we're right, and I think we are, and what we were just saying last segment, that this is Ukraine for Tucker. And he was, by the way, great on COVID, too. Let's not make it look like he overlooked that. He he was tremendous. I mean, he gave me an audience a couple of occasions uh, to dissemble uh, uh, Anthony Fauci and the COVID narrative. But if this is his like, oh, hell no, red line issue. And here we bring in Nikki Haley, who, I mean, at, at this point, she's five minutes from changing her last name to Zelensky. Let's start with her and how that interaction may go. And what would be a good or a not good 25-minute appearance for Nikki Haley on that stage? Well, it'd be good if she didn't seem uh, increasingly comparable to Kamala Harris, uh, which, listen, I'm the guy on this show, and I apologize already, but I would say, like, because of how she presented herself during Trump, like, one of the most capable people in the administration, I thought she would be viewed as somebody who could be that at least Kasich until the end, an option. But her answer on both Ukraine and on Disney, remember how, and we said we, we, we shall not talk about it, but the opinions we had of Kamala as like a combination of vicious and semi-capable and like gone. Like I've, Nikki Haley right now, I I don't, she apparently she knew exactly what time it was appears during the Trump administration and now she's doesn't appear to have any at all she's got to just I, her job was to look like a sober-minded alternative and because she's a woman and not a white one she just checks some boxes and she's saying all the dumbest things possible i don't like she, Maybe I'm overestimating this, but I think she's got to get back as seeing the default alternative. And, and and so looking, instead of ideological, as just a a good manager. And that's going to be hard to do because that this is not really the forum to do that in. or the And certainly not the guy, as you've already laid out. So I, I absolutely agree with your uh-oh analysis on this. Aaron? totally agree with that i think a great opening question and i'm and i'm being i'm not i'm kind of joking here but i'm being mostly serious um ambassador haley do you know what a mutual uh, protection pact is or a mutual defense pact is and do you know what happens when somebody within that pact gets attacked and then I might start asking about nuclear fallout and how it's a bad nuclear fallout season right around the corner. Please mask up. I would do something like that. <laughs> so um, subtly, in other words. Subtly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that would actually be a, a great starting point for this conversation because she is just she's stuck in this world of neoconism. And I, I don't think she really sees out of it right now. I really don't. I don't think she gets it at all. All right. Vivek Ramaswamy. So a lot of people first heard about him via Tucker Carlson. They have a rapport as well. Iowans like him. He has worked our state at this point early in the process. He has worked harder in our state than any other candidate has. Um, I, I can't foresee a scenario where this event doesn't go well for him, given the format. It's a long form conversation with somebody he likes that likes him in front of an audience that mostly likes him as well. 
right? So how would that not happen? And how could he really capitalize? And keep in mind, in 2015, all of us thought Donald Trump had the worst outing at the leadership summit with the candidates, and Bobby Jindal maybe had the best, okay? Bobby Jindal was out of the race in a couple of months, and Donald Trump won the presidency. So keep that in mind, okay? But with that said, Todd. Well, if you compare him, he it go badly for him when he can't just talk about himself in issues and when he has to compare himself to the field because isn't he like 37 38 i believe 38? Okay. You know, it's it's one of those and two, i yeah. don't like i don't resent him for running because he's too young or not necessarily even a politician but like he's why why him why now mm-hmm. at this moment in time like, like this is this is not just any other epoch of american history you know you it, it th- to just convince people that it's not like and maybe again this is me but just grotesquely presumptuous that you're just like jumping into this for this particular race now i mean i don't i honestly if he has to compare himself to the rest of the field uh, and heck, in many respects, it's not that that strong of a field. But I don't know that he has that much ammo to work with to say that this is he's the uniqueness of this period in history qualifies him for this office. Aaron, yeah, I'm not really sure, you know, what um, what question Carlson could necessarily ask Vivek that would just completely lampoon whatever support he has, which is not insignificant in Iowa, at least if you're, if you believe or half believe the the polls, I'm not really sure what question or what answer Vivek could give that would necessarily move the needle for a lot of people. I think he just, he is what he is. And we don't, (laughs) we don't truly know what he is. He just talks really good, really well talks. He talks real good. He talks really well, well well-spoken, shady past. Maybe, maybe not says a lot of things that we agree with. I'm not really sure what else we're going to get than what we've seen already with Vivek. Yeah, you have, your spidey sense has been on him, man, from the start. From the start. Well, Todd's as well. Yeah, but you even more so. You even more so. So, all right, before we get to the other two candidates, uh, a reminder about our friends over at Jace Medical, the same company that brought you the Jace case to make sure you've got access to venerable antibiotics that are vital. And maybe the next one's banned the next time we have an emergency. All right. Now they want to make sure you back up the antibiotics you know you need, that you're using right now. All right. Especially, it's not even just they're trying to kill you, and they are. It's also, we have got shortages of these right now. So get the 12-month backup supply of your prescriptions, whether it's cholesterol, diabetes, heart health, blood pressure, even mental health, and so much more. With the ultimate must-buy and family preparedness from our friends over at Jace Medical. J-A-S-E. J-A-S-E for Jace Medical. Dot com. That's jacemedical.com. Enter the code DACE at checkout for the discount on your order. Discount code DACE at jacemedical.com. J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Discount code DACE. Let's talk about Tim Scott. South Carolina Senator got off to, a lot of people thought he got off to a strong start. Our, our friend Bob Vanderplatz loved his message. I thought it was a very good opening message, right? If you if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Only men should be in women. But it, it did seem like kind of the... K-pop 
greatest hits. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you can't help but kind of hum along to it. You know, it, it it's got a, like a generic peppiness. You know that most pop songs have, but you also know you're not listening to Desperado or Stairway to Heaven here. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, you kind of know. You know it. You're listening to, you know, conservative music. You're humming along. You know the tune, but it, you also know that it's not all that memorable. Um, but, you know, he is the only black candidate. Iowa conservatives are not different from other conservatives in that they hate being unfairly called racists. And I could see them absolutely giving him a long look just because he's black and it would make them feel good to support somebody black because apparently that's a hedge against being called racist or something. Although I've seen yet no evidence of that thoughts here uh the 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 black thing aside here's what i'm very interested specifically to hear somebody like him uh answer because like because i remember how he went on the the uh view and had that answer uh, and he specifically sought that out and wanted to talk about that i'd like to have him ask point blank donald trump isn't donald trump didn't he become president and isn't he still in the mix exactly because people lost faith? And this is relevant because he's still in the Senate, but people like you, they just don't think that the way you sell messages is either effective or you don't even believe in the message you say you believe in. Isn't Donald Trump's victory, if it's an explicit rejection of anybody on this stage that's here it's mostly somebody like you nothing to do with black but just the the average it, what's his liberty score i mean isn't he basically He's like 75 isn't he the poster besides being the racial thing isn't he the poster child for kind of like republican meh Is, yeah so he has to answer for that how are you not that he did genuflect hard on uh the summer of floyd a couple of years ago that we got to make sure the cops aren't as racist as they appear yeah. to be he did do that I'd love to hear him answer that in light of him, what he did on uh, The View. Maybe he'd come up. I mean, would you absolutely say, yeah, our, our party's been a total uh, scam? Poop You're show. absolutely right. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'd want to hear it. There it, seems to be enough of a human being in him that we might get something He seems refreshing. very likable. Yeah. He just oh, seems yeah. kind of shallow. Yeah. Is he auditioning for vice president? Is he maybe the only candidate on that stage to, on, for tomorrow auditioning for vice president, potentially? I think I think that could be the case. And again, just wipe out whatever portion of your whatever portion of your hippocampus knows about uh, his liberty score or his history in Washington D.C. U.S. Senator Tim Scott, in the package that he comes in, and the way in which he communicates, which he is a good communicator. This campaign, from what I've seen from him so far, few things. Uh, I think I think he was talking about Ukraine. Uh, a little while, you know, not too long ago. Other than those things, pretty good candidate. Pretty good candidate. So I actually think on, you know, on tomorrow, I actually think he maybe has the most upward mobility besides Ron DeSantis. Your thoughts on that really quick before we move on to Mike Pence? I agree. He's totally shifted. Uh, He has the potential. He's what I thought Nikki Haley was going to be right now. Okay. All right, I saved the worst for last. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. I mean, I, I don't know how this conversation is not at any point uncomfortable between Tucker Carlson and Mike Pence. Like, to me, Tucker would have to, on purpose, 
evade almost every meaningful question that anybody would want asked of Mike Pence for it to not be uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like, he would have to just say, you know what, there's no point. Everybody knows this guy's not going anywhere. Let's just get let's just get the hell through these 25 minutes and get out of here. You know, tell me about why you love Jesus, your favorite Bible verse, that kind of stuff, and let's get going. Because on every meaningful fight we have we have had the last few years, Mike Pence has been on the wrong side. Yeah. This- so so I I have no way of knowing how Tucker could possibly have a non cringe conversation with Mike Pence without on purpose just saying it would be overkill. He's not going anywhere. We're just not going to address any issues with this guy. Am I wrong? Oh, no. And I hope he is. Along with DeSantis and uh, uh, Trump, if he were there, you know, talk about the past. Talk about your record. And why does that why is that a reason to vote for you versus to reject you? I would just put it out there right away uh, with Pence. Listen, you were given as much, if not the most responsibility and duty of any vice president in the history of this country by being put in charge of our covid response. And by most measures, that was a failure on multiple fronts. Why are you electable after being handed that duty and see what he does with that? I can all, I, I pray. I, I, I need to see that. Like I need to see Chris Christie going to get the French fry run. Like I, because <laughs> Pence, pretty working with McNuggets. Because but, okay, I hear you. There's okay. no stupid glare that Aaron mimics so well that can handle that question. He won't be able to winsome him way th- his way through that uh, as much as hard as he will try. I don't think Tucker Carlson is any big fan of uh, Mike Pence any more than he is of, of Nikki Haley. I think, I think those two are probably the ones, probably the ones that you will get the closest thing you can have to an uh-oh moment uh, for, for both of those candidates. Cause I, Tucker Carlson, he may be a lot of things. He is not one to suffer fools, I don't think. And I think if they start to reveal themselves as utter fools, meaning Nikki Haley and and Mike Pence or any of them, he will pounce on that moment. I am just trying to envision this scenario where this goes well for Mike Pence. It's survival. He survived. Didn't trip on his way on the, on the stage. Didn't face plant for the 25 minutes. Didn't trip on the way out. For Mike Pence, are you just trying to walk out of there without becoming a meme? Is that how low the bar is? Just don't become a meme. Well, I, how does he have a good day? If the Iowa electorate has become so shallow and basically um, Jesus light that they're just like grasping for anything. That's how. Aaron, how does this? How is this a win for Mike Pence? What's a good day for him tomorrow? Jesus comes back. <laughs> so this never occurs. Rapture. I hope. Listen, it, audience it, empties out because of the rapture. Uh, if you, I will be prepared to boo him. Don't That's be, not how we roll. You know that, though. It should be. And know, in that place, I know, but it's we're Iowa nice, man. Don't. Don't let him try to Jesus. He's going to try. Do not let him. Yeah. I will come back. One last candidate that's going to be there tomorrow. We haven't spoken to or about because we're going to speak to him. Ron DeSantis when we come back. When we come back.
right back here with Hour 2 on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, all of you as well. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Email us, Steve, at SteveDace.com. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, me, we, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Gitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find me as well at Real Steve Dace on Truth Social. Podcast listeners, please, if you have yet to do this, leave us a five-star review. Hit subscribe or on iTunes, follow. And thank you to all of you that have done those things as well. And thank you to all of you that have given money to Preborn. It was money well spent. Uh, they do an outstanding job, not just as a pro-life entity, but as a pro-life ministry. They understand that this is a battle over hearts and minds. Truth and grace, therefore, is needed. And so they confront mothers with the truth of the fact they are carrying another somebody in their belly. It's not their body alone. It is another body. And so they do that with ultrasounds. And about 80% of the time when a mom hears that heartbeat, her conscience is convicted and she can't go through with killing her child. But she's not out of the woods yet. The baby may be, but she's not. Uh, she's still got to figure out how to be a mom. And they help with that. Counseling, pre, postnatal care. All of this stuff is free of charge, provided they have adequate resources from tax-deductible donations from people like us. If you want to make one of those donations, now is the time. You know, an ultrasound is just 28 bucks. That might save a baby right there. For 28 bucks, would you save a kid? I certainly would. All right, dial pound 250 on your mobile phone right now. Dial pound 250 on your mobile phone or call, I'm sorry, or go to uh, preborn.com slash Steve. That's preborn.com slash Steve. Again, that's preborn.com slash Steve. So we are joined now by the governor of Florida, Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis here with us on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Governor, it is good to have you back with us on the show. How are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to being in Iowa soon. So you are. You're going to be here tomorrow, uh, in fact, for the Family Leadership Summit. Kind of the, for a lot of people, I think it'll be the official kickoff of the caucuses. Probably the largest gathering of activists in one setting in Iowa between now and when the caucuses take place 186 days from now. You're going to get 25 minutes with probably the biggest living media star in conservative media right now, Tucker Carlson, in front of that audience. You're his governor half the year. You obviously know him. He knows you. Uh, you want Iowans to get to know you better. What is, what's at stake, do you think, for you with this gathering on Friday? What do you want to convey most? Well, first, I want to just uh, let everyone up there know uh, how much I respect what your governor and the legislature have done uh, with passing the heartbeat bill. That was a big victory for life. Also, what they've been able to do to put up really big wins, similar to what we've done in Florida. And uh, you're lucky to have a a great governor uh, like Kim Reynolds. And I think she's actually going to be signing the bill uh, at the Family Mm -hmm. Leader Summit, which is uh, which is really, really good. Look, I'm going to let people know, hey, what what drives me uh, as a leader? Uh, How are we able to to achieve so much? What would that look as president? I mean, I think we all know the country is off kilter. Mm-hmm. And yes, Biden is kind of, you know, you, you know, leading this in, in some respects, but he's really a symptom of a lot of the underlying problems. And so when you go in there uh, as a new president and you're standing for the right things, you better be prepared. The blowback from the media, from the left, from the bureaucracy, all across the board, if you're standing for what's right in this day and age, uh, you are going to face a lot of blowback. And so I think what I've been able to do as governor, whether it's COVID, whether it's standing up for the innocence of our children and on and on down the line, uh, is stand into that breach, 
stand for people's rights and freedoms and stand for what's right and not give an inch to these people. And I don't know that we've had somebody that's successfully been able to navigate all those hurdles um, in recent years, and I'll be able to get that done. Let's talk about what transpired in Florida the last few years, Governor. You, you took a state, Barack Obama won twice. The previous 40 years of presidential elections in your home state were decided by an average of two and a half points. It's the most expensive, largest swing state in the union. You won your last election there by 20 points, biggest re-election victory anybody's had in the history of your state. I don't believe for the first time in the history of your state there's a single Democrat holding statewide office in your state. There's been something like a 400,000 swing of registered voters from Democrats to Republicans. All right. How, how did you do this on that stage? How did you do it? And then how would that parlay into an even more challenging task of doing it as president? Well, I think a few things. One, uh, we came in on day one as governor, having won by a close margin like Florida races really are. And I was told, bide your time, keep your head down, don't rock the boat. We have a delicate political balance. And I rejected that. I said, I'm going whole hog. Uh, I'm the leader. I'm going to put out a vision. It's not going to be poll tested. It's going to be from the heart. uh, And I'm going to execute on that vision. And I started doing that and people really responded. And some of it was doing traditional conservative things uh, like banning sanctuary cities. Other things was just doing things that a lot of Floridians wanted, like standing up for Everglades restoration against Big Sugar, who's a very powerful interest in Florida. So we were hitting on issues with education all across the board, good budgeting, tax relief that people that people really liked. But then what happened, I think, was when COVID hit, we had to make the decision after watching what was happening in the United States in March of 2020, the beginning of April, and then comparing it to the data that was coming in and looking at countries like Sweden, who were doing it a different way, even though I had the most elderly, even though my economy was the most vulnerable to COVID, uh, I had to dissent from the orthodoxy and take Florida in a different direction. Now that did not help me politically originally. I think a lot of people were saying that that I didn't know what I was doing because we mm-hmm. were bucking Fauci. Fauci would be on TV attacking me almost every day about schools, about businesses and all these things. Uh, and we just stood our ground in the face of a lot of fire. Uh, I had a lot of people advising me to reverse course because I was getting hammered politically. But at the end of the day, a leader is going to do what's right, plant that flag, let the chips fall where they may. And what happened was we really became the focus of freedom throughout the United States. And it wasn't just people in in other states. Uh, We had people in other countries trying to get to Florida, escaping lockdowns. And that gave us, I think, an incredible amount of momentum. And then we basically just said, you know, these elites in this country are wrong on almost everything. And so we'll take on Disney to protect the innocence of children. We'll protect Second Amendment rights. All across the board, uh, we led into the teeth of a lot of opposition and delivered really big things. And it's interesting. Yes, we had positive migration. I think most of the people that moved to Florida we're moving for the right reasons. There's a, you're always worried with some of this stuff. You see California license plates showing up. I had never seen those in the history of Florida as a kid growing up. All of a sudden they show up. How are these people going to vote? A lot of people were concerned about that. It turned out a lot of people were willing to pick up and move because freedom had been on the line and where they were, their freedoms were being infringed. And so that was a, a really big thing. But I'll tell you, we also converted people within Florida. So there were people that had been Democrats 
that were changing their registration to Republicans or had been independent changing over. That's why a place like Miami-Dade, 2.8 million people, Republicans usually get slaughtered in urban areas. And Hillary won that in 2016 presidential by 30 points. Hmm. Uh, we were not only able to win Miami-Dade, we won it by double digits. Uh, and you don't do that without making inroads into areas where Republicans haven't done well. But it really boiled down to bold colors, not pale pastels. Uh, but we're doing that, I think, in a way that was attracting more people. You didn't see me out there alienating people unnecessarily. Don't get me wrong. When you take strong stands, there's going to be people that don't like that. That's fine. But I think we drew the battle lines in a way that unified Republicans, won over independents, and even shaved off some Democrats because, you know, there are Democrat voters out there that are not down for the woke idiocy. And they knew I was speaking the truth about the importance of protecting our kids, uh, the importance of making sure that we had law and order. Uh, and they came to our side. I think it's a formula that can be replicated nationally. And we used to be able to win big in this country, and we have it for many, many years. What's the most misunderstood factor in your success in Florida that you think voters still need to understand to understand who you are as a candidate? So before I took office, uh, I surveyed all the powers of the governor, constitutional, statutory, customary. I looked to see what my powers were vis-a-vis -vis local government because I came into office and removed some of the recalcitrant election supervisors mm -hmm. from South Florida. We removed the sheriff of Broward who bungled the Parkland. I've since moved, removed a Soros prosecutor in Tampa. And so I had a sense of what levers do I have at my disposal? We have these great ideas that we all share, these great values. We want to see these great policies, uh, but I can't just wave a magic wand. I got to get this through a constitutional system. We know there's lawsuits from the left on almost everything we do. Where the, what's the judiciary look like? What's the legislative pushback going to be, if any? And so we really, I think, we're smart about navigating that. And that would be similar to how I would approach the job as president. Article two vests the executive power and the president. I think there's some underutilized levers that presidents have not been willing or, or just decided not to wield in recent years. And I think that's part of the reason why we have such an out of control bureaucracy. I mean, for example, there's been a canard that the DOJ and the FBI are somehow independent agencies. Uh, well, look, if they're independent, that means they're unaccountable. And that's not the way the Constitution was designed. They are accountable to the elected president of the United States. You have every right uh, to be getting in there, firing the FBI director uh, if they're not doing a good job like the current one is, telling DOJ, stop going after Christians. If they're doing something, you fire these people. You're the one as the elected executive that's got to bring the hammer down. And so I have a good sense of how to pull those levers. And we're already thinking about all the things we'll do on day one. I mean, you campaign in poetry, but at the end of of the day you got to govern in prose you can't wait till after the election to all of a sudden develop a program so we'll have ready to go on day one thousands of personnel lined up for confirmation uh, we'll have all the executive orders written ready to go uh, we'll have legislation teed up uh, that we'll be submitting to congress and if you're not ready on day one i don't think you're going to be able to get this stuff done so a lot of my colleagues on the right in this line of work all the stuff you just said while you were just a governor, they spent a good deal of time talking about, writing about, broadcasting about. And since you started running for president, they haven't spent nearly as much time talking about those things or you at all. 
And a lot of it is, frankly, because of the polls and the perception that uh, Donald Trump is uh, insurmountably ahead with a commanding lead that couldn't possibly change, things of that nature. Um, but, but I also hear, well, it's not exciting enough. Um, and, and our people want drama. They want some of the soap opera. Uh, they, ruthless efficiency, uh, you know, is great for a governor, but it doesn't sell on the presidential campaign trail. I, listen, I, I giggle at some of this stuff, too, brother. I hear this stuff from names people in our audience would know, names you would know. I hear this stuff. OK, how would you respond to both of those inclinations? Well, leadership is not ultimately about entertainment. Uh, It's about delivering results. It's about standing up for people, especially when it's not easy. It's about preserving liberty in this country when so many of our rights and freedoms are under assault. And look, I guess people have different uh, motivations. There's some people that are motivated to get in the political thicket and commentary because they have strong beliefs and they want to see those advance. There's others that are looking at it more from a, a monetary perspective. And I don't begrudge people uh, if that were what they're going to do. But I grew up in Florida and I've always loved the state. I can tell you uh, what we've seen in the last few years uh, has developed a sense of pride in the state, uh, particularly amongst our people, uh, that rivals or exceeds the type of pride you'd see in a state like Texas. I never thought I'd see that in Florida. And people were excited, uh, have been excited about what we've done, but the excitement is in the results that are produced. The excitement is when something's wrong, they know that I'll show up uh, and I'll make it right. It's not me creating palace intrigue. It's not me creating unnecessary drama. And I can tell you, you start talking about being up in Washington, you need to be focused. You need to be disciplined. These distractions, they will allow the administrative state to eat your lunch. And I just approach things with more of a military bearing, uh, making sure that we have uh, the efficiency and and the focus to be able to deliver. But it's ultimately not about me. Uh, I'm a vehicle for people's uh, hopes and dreams and aspirations. And and in Florida, you know, we never saw a result like we saw. And here's the thing, what people would say to me is, you know, I'm used to voting against the people I don't like. Uh, You're the one that I feel I'm voting for somebody. Mm. And they really appreciated being able to go out and vote for somebody that they believed in. And, you know, that they can tell their kids, you know, that that's the type of uh, that's the type of leader you should look up to. And so I'm proud of what we've done. Uh, If all this movement on the right is just about clicks and just about all these other things, then we might as well just fold up the tent right now. I mean, that's not ultimately uh, what's going to save this country and save this society. And I look around over how many decades of a lot of people that have been in this space and you think about it, to what end have you been in this space? You know, what have you actually delivered uh, when you're talking about that? Uh, and I can tell you, I can uh, sleep very well at night knowing I had an opportunity in front of me to lead. I took that opportunity and I delivered results that matter to people. Hmm. All right, final thing I want to ask you about is the, the number one issue that I hear from people who do take issues seriously that they want to hear more clarification from you on. And it is certainly maybe the number one issue of the gentleman you're going to be talking to here in Iowa tomorrow, Tucker Carlson, and that is Ukraine. Um, Tucker has said now, and he's only done a few media appearances since what happened, since he got screwed, frankly, by Fox. But in both of them that I have seen, he has said specifically that he thinks Donald Trump is the only candidate that is truly against forever war. He has said this now publicly twice. 
um, has, and has singled him out affirmatively where that is concerned. Number one, do you agree with that? How would you even define that? And then number two, what is ultimately the mission or winning in Ukraine? Like, we're not going to let him in a NATO because that would be Putin's red line, but we're going to give him cluster bombs and billions more dollars and uh, do all the photo op, never ending photo ops with Zelensky. Uh, you ask people like Lindsey Graham, who's one of President Trump's art and supporters, what's victory look like? Well, it looks like however long it takes to get victory. I, I don't understand it. A lot of Americans don't understand it. So can you clarify your overall view on foreign policy, forever war, and then specifically Ukraine? So I'm actually uh, a product of the failures of our foreign policy in a sense that I served in the Iraq war. And I served there during a time when we were in Al-Ambar province, when Al-Qaeda in Iraq was was running wild. Uh, We had a massive surge of U.S. troops, but this was a few years after the invasion. And our mission was, of course, to quell that, but then to somehow establish a democracy in Iraq. And so what that showed me was there was a lack of focus, that it was a muddled mission. And I think if you look at the last several decades of of U.S. foreign policy intervention, you see a lot of action with no clear-cut successes. And so kind of my threshold foreign policy view is uh, we got to focus on what is in our interest as a country the safety and security of the American people. We cannot be indulging gauzy concepts like, oh, we're going to be fighting, you know, for for democracy abroad. Whenever whenever we've done that as a country going back to World War One, it hasn't worked out well. So anything we're engaged in, there's got to be a concrete objective that we need to achieve. And we've been lacking that uh, across a lot of those. Now, I do want a strong defense. I believe President Reagan's approach was right of peace through strength. And if you think about it, he came in for eight years. He deployed U.S. troops once to Grenada. And yet by the time he left, a few months later, the Berlin Wall fell. Uh, So I think that's the better approach, whereas the D.C. foreign policy elite has become hyper-interventionist. They think that anything that's happening around the world requires the United States uh, to stick our nose in it. You even had people with some of the recent instability in Russia saying that the U.S. should be sticking its nose in that and try to propel some type of a change in regime. So that's not my, my position. When I was a U.S. congressman, I was in my early 30s, having served in Iraq just a few years before I, I, I entered Congress, uh, and I opposed the Obama uh, strikes on Syria because I didn't see what the clear mission was, and I was worried that that could drag us in uh, to a quagmire. I also opposed during that campaign the Obama-Hillary-Libya intervention. Again, you know, Gaddafi is a bad guy, but he gave up his nukes. We went in and somehow created, you know, this vacuum that terrorists were able to exploit. And so I am willing to use American force to defend the people of the United States, uh, but I'm not going to do that without a clear objective to maintain. And of course, we cannot have a blank check policy uh, where we're just funding uh, interventions uh, without end. What is the ultimate end game that we're looking to do? And I'd also say just in terms of what we're doing right now, there's major opportunity costs uh, to anything we do, whether it's in Europe or beyond. And what I see us doing uh, is really neglecting, which for me would be a a bigger threat, uh, China, 
in favor uh, of Europe. Uh, my foreign policy would view the Indo-Pacific as the mo most important region. I think our NATO allies have, have not lived up to their end of the bargain in terms of their defenses. Uh, I would want to see them do more, but ultimately uh, we're probably gonna be more unified with them on Europe than we are gonna be with them uh, when it comes to China. France, some of these countries, they don't think China's a big deal. I can tell you China's involved in our own hemisphere here. Uh, they do have grand ambitions, and I think unlike Russia, uh, they have a military that would probably be able uh, to back up those ambitions, or at least it's getting uh, more powerful every day. And of course, uh, to say that we should be adding countries like Ukraine into NATO, you know, that's a non-starter for me, because all you're doing is you're putting more obligations on us to be able to defend. Uh, why would we want to do things that are gonna make it more likely uh, that we're gonna get dragged into a war? So the goal of our foreign policy is, should be to maintain peace and security in the world. We wanna deter conflict. We don't want to invite conflict. Governor Ron DeSantis, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Look forward to seeing you uh, tomorrow at the Family Leadership Summit in Iowa. All right, good luck, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, th thanks so much. Yep. Take care. I want to thank the governor of Florida for joining us here on the show. I, I tried to do the interview that if I was the one interviewing the candidates tomorrow and not Tucker, what are the questions I would ask him on that stage? I tried to ask those questions. So I want to find out what you guys think here in just a matter of moments. First, as the drilling begins, <laughs> this is almost getting hilarious now, uh, a word from our friends over at Patriot Mobile. You know, the parallel economy is coming. It's just taking a little bit longer than we had hoped. Thankfully, one place you can see it's, it's coming through you the can, wall. You can hear it coming down the bend right now. All right. I hear the trainer coming. <laughs> All right. So one place where it is fully developed is uh, when it comes to our mobile phones with Patriot Mobile, America's only American mobile phone company. You can make the switch today at PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. Make the switch today. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. If you do, use the offer code Steve. They'll give you a free activation and you'll get outstanding customer service that'll let you do things like anytime you need to switch networks to one of the three major networks for better coverage, they'll do that for you for free. Just some of the benefits of being a part of Patriot Mobile on top of the fact you're not directly giving money to people who hate you. If you're a veteran or first responder, let them know when you go to make the switch. They've got extra ways to say thank you for your service. For everybody else, PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve or call 878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT. And you can tell people truly, however many listeners we actually have, must truly love this show to put up with all the distractions it takes to tune into it. I thought we were in the clear. I really did. We haven't, I've, I'm here longer hours most days than, than both of you. I haven't heard anything in like a week almost. I thought we were in the clear. Well, nevertheless, nevertheless, we persisted. All right. So, so does that sound? <laughs> nevertheless, we persisted. So gentlemen, your thoughts on the conversation we just had with Ron DeSantis. I have two immediate thoughts. One, it came right at the beginning, and there's a lot more to it than I think many of you have considered. But when he said that Joe Biden is really just the symptom of all of this, man, music to my ears. He is exactly right. And a lot of us, the laugh track about Biden and Dementia Joe and all that stuff. But this is, goes beyond Joe Biden. The... the 
he he it, it it makes me consider what DeSantis wants to do way once he gets in there. Way too many politicians. The big win is just pulling off the the electoral victory, and then it's just kind of keeping the deck chairs afloat on the Titanic. There's really no intent on doing anything until the next election. He's like, no, I'm. I understand that the real win is killing the dragon once you're in there. That is everything to me. The man really seems like, if I lose doing that, I'll sleep well at night. But I'm taking on the dragon, and it's not Joe Biden. Isn't that obvious? It can't be enough just to beat Joe Biden. The second thing, and this is the one place in all of this I think he could have done better. When you told him, Steve, about a lot of people in our industry, they just love the show and they don't think you provide enough of it and uh, therefore can't really be successful. You, you, he, did, he did answer, but it was way too long. Be way tighter on that message. Hey, I like the show too. The show is winning and I win. And everybody wanted that big red wave badly. I gave it to you when nobody else could. Be way tighter with that message because it again. That's it, a great point. It shows a, how effective you were, and it also, at least, very indirectly, without bringing it up, the guy that is the guy that you have to overcome uh, is a lot of show, but didn't win in the last election. Didn't win on COVID. So just be way tighter with that. Say, yeah, I I love the show too. It's called winning. I did not anticipate the answer that he gave on the foreign policy question that you asked him at the end. Maybe he's given that answer before, and I, I haven't seen that. But that was um, much more fleshed out than what I have seen in the past from Ron DeSantis, giving specific examples of what he deems to be legitimate use of military force to defend the country, spelling out uh, in no uncertain terms what failures look like, including his own experience uh, you know, in Iraq, look, you know, looking at the last few decades of American foreign policy, how it seems to be uh, incoherent, saying his focus is on uh, is on Southeast Asia or Asia in general, uh, specific uh, examples, which is not that much different from what Trump's foreign policy was uh, back in 2015 and 2016, all the China stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. That was kind of what he led off with before he caught the, uh, you know, lightning in a bottle with uh, building the wall and making Mexico pay for it. So I, I thought his uh, answer on foreign policy was far more in-depth than what I anticipated. But, yeah, the the portion of his answer that Todd was just talking about, though, is is absolutely true when he says, if this is just about clicks, maybe this is just your answer. Maybe actually this is just your answer. If this is just about clicks and entertainment, fold up the tent right now because he's absolutely correct about that and that's a message i don't think that most republican voters at least not caucus or primary voters i don't think that's a message they hear one that forces you to wake up to say well what are we what are we actually doing here Hmm. what about the questions i chose to ask i didn't give you guys any kind of a heads up at all what i was going to ask and frankly you know me to know well enough that i didn't know either all right so what about the questions I chose to ask in the 20 minutes we had with him? That's the longest conversation I've had with Ron DeSantis yet. Uh, I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head that I would have done uh, differently. Uh, uh, foreign policy, uh, I, I got to echo Aaron, like uh, the guy is just on the top of his uh, uh, game when it comes uh, to that. 
and it's very clear uh, whatever the question was that ultimately led to giving him the opportunity to talk about uh, uh, oh well what it was about you know what why exactly were you effective in Florida that's what it was and his answer it's like I, I knew exactly I didn't have to guess I knew what my constitutional prerogatives were I knew all the rules of the game I and I applied them Mm-hmm. I, I, I prepared. Yes. Yeah. I, again, there's just so I was ready to be ruthlessly efficient. Yeah. There's just. W- but the thing is, you got to message that yeah. in a in a in a compelling way. Yeah. And and if you're not going to be a bombastic personality, then then airtight messaging is actually even more important. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're if you're if Trump is fumbling around for the right thing to say, but he's doing so in a yeah. way you find charismatic, you're give him more rope. If someone doesn't necessarily have that natural charisma is, is, is fumbling around, you're not. Think of, a, think of a radio show when you tune in, all right? If the host, who, who you presume has some charisma, if he's like searching for the right thing to say, you hang out until he lands on it. But if a caller calls in who doesn't have that charisma, mm-hmm. you tune out because you're bored, yes. all right? And so that means I think you're going to have to be even tighter in getting to your point because yes. of what you said earlier. Yeah. And when it comes to what he also answered about the prose poetry thing, you campaign in poetry, but you run in prose. And when he said we, you know, we've got things laid out already about how we're going to run. Like a, a, that tells me, hey, I plan on winning. Mm-hmm. I'm here to win this thing. And B, when uh, more than any politician that's ever run for this office, when he says I have specific plans of what I'm going to do, I actually believe it. Aaron, you want the last word? Well, yeah. I mean, this is. I think what struck me maybe the most is talking about how he grew up in Florida and how he never expected Floridians to have the pride in their state that, say, a Texas has. Mm -hmm. I think that's as big of a tell of how that state has transformed than anything else, that somebody who grew up there said, I never even expected to have pride in my state, but now a lot more people do. That was one of the things that stuck out the most to me from the conversation as well. All right. When we come back, can I make it about me for a second? Your show? Why not? I'm going to do that next. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on The Steve Day Show. A word about our friends over at Relief Factor. If you are struggling with chronic pain, what do I mean by that? That means pain from too much inflammation in your body, often showing up in your joints, stiffness, achiness, soreness that just won't, won't, won't go away. And that's why you're looking for an all-natural, anti-inflammatory, it's drug-free, so it won't put strain on your other organs, but it's also created by physicians who can prescribe drugs. It's called Relief Factor, and they're so confident in the results you will see that they offer the initial three-week trial run for just 20 bucks. Why? Because about 70% of the time that people try it, they stick around long-term because of the results they see in three weeks or less. So why not see if you don't see a difference in your pain level in three weeks or less when you go to relieffactor.com? That's relieffactor.com, just 20 bucks to find out. relieffactor.com or call 800, the number four relief, 800 for relief so three weeks no two weeks from tomorrow man it's coming up quick guys when i started uh, doing talk radio for a living my first full-time talk radio job i received uh the monday uh, the friday before memorial day was my first day i was given my own sports talk radio show full-time 
And that was in the year 2000. That was, that was 23 years ago. I was, at the time, I was 26 years old. I had a full-time talk radio show in a top 100 market. I was 26 years old. Never done radio in my life prior to getting into sports talk radio. And so 23 years have gone by fast. And you start getting older. And now I'm going to be 50 here two weeks from tomorrow. And you start gaining a wider perspective. You start thinking about things. You start thinking about the time you have left and how much it is. You realize there's more time behind you than there was in front of you, you know? And, um, and I don't know why I thought about this. But last Saturday, I was just having one of those moments. And, uh, and the following two lists came to mind. One is a lot longer than the other, right? And I want to show these to the audience, okay? You can't be so heavy on the Bible. No one cares about local school board races. Mitt Romney, Mike Huckabee. You can't be an activist and a radio host at the same time. If you don't beat Hannity in the ratings next quarter, you're fired. Terry Branstad, you can't take out Supreme Court justices. No one since Ronald Reagan has left WHO and gone on to bigger and better things. You can't do this independently. Are you a Christian show or a conservative show? Ted Cruz. Giving up never Trump, COVID, the jab, the 2020 polls were wrong. Something stinks on election night. Trump is pursuing the wrong post-election st- steal strategy. You can't make a Christian independent movie that isn't cheesy or no one gets saved. That is a list of all the times I was told what I was going to do was wrong or would fail. And couldn't be done. I, I just refused to follow the paradigm, the trend, went against it completely, did something completely different and went against it. And can you put that list back up there for a second? The last one, the jury is still out. We're not profitable yet, although, man, we have taken a huge step towards that. And I'm, I'm now confident that, the, that Nefarious as a film will eventually be profitable. But it's not yet. So the jury is still out on that one. But on all the rest of these, you can't be so heavy on the Bible. I made the biblical worldview the prime directive of the show. And now we have one of the, what would you guys say, 15, 20 largest shows, conservative media shows and conservative media yep. by doing that. Is, that. is that a fair assessment? The data seems to indicate yeah, as yeah, much. That's what yeah. the data shows, yeah. No one cares about local school board races. Well, you know, we made them care. Mitt Romney, I, I basically single-handedly took him out in the Iowa caucuses. Mike Huckabee was at 1% of 1% when I started supporting him. You can't be an activist and be on the radio at the same time. I, I was told this by management. I was told this. And I just nodded and did what I wanted and what I thought was right anyway. Then they told me if I didn't beat Hannity in the next ratings period, I was going to get fired. That happened. And then I beat him 3-1. to one. Terry Branstead called, the then governor of Iowa, called to try to get me fired. Didn't work. Told us we couldn't take out state Supreme Court justices. We did. Three of them. Three of them, in fact. They were right. You can't take out a Supreme Court justice, but apparently you can take out three of them. Yeah. 
Uh, no one since Ronald Reagan left WHO and gone on to bigger and better things. My, my, my most important radio mentor, Van Harden, said that to me when I told him I was going to leave HO. And I looked at him and I said, Van, no one ever leaves WHO. It's such a great freaking place to work. Well, we went on to bigger and better things. Then I was told when I left, you can't do this independently. You got to line up with somebody. You got to be somebody's employee. I've not been anybody's employee since February 11th, 2011 was the last time I was an employee of somebody other than my own company. Are you a Christian show or a conservative show? When we first launched, I got asked this a ton of times. Finally, I just started saying to people, I don't know, are we a good show? Ted Cruz was at 2% when I signed on with him. He ended up getting more, more votes than anybody in Iowa caucus history. I know this is something that is very important to you, Todd. You have mentioned it many times. The day after the election coming in here and saying, never Trump is dead. Now we have to do what's best for the country, period. And we need Trump to be successful. A lot of people that I was never Trump with did not do that and held on to that paradigm to their own detriment. COVID, that record speaks for itself. The jab, that record is recent and speaks for itself. The 2020 polls were wrong. They were wrong. Everything I said for months and months about the polls, they could not possibly be right with the methodology they were using all proved to be true on election night. And they were off by an average of five and a half. The, the, poll and the, the polls of the real clear politics polling average were off by an average of five points. Biggest margin in the history of the RCP average. I was right. Continue down the list there. Something stinks on election night. I remember sitting there while Fox is calling Arizona. I'm looking at Antrim County, Michigan. I'm like, that ain't right. That's a scam. I was right. Trump pursuing the wrong post-election strategy. Remember, everything was about release the Kraken. Remember that? And I think there were two guys, me and Steve Cortez, who were doing content and putting out videos and shows. Uh, We need to actually make the argument that'll win. And here it is. They didn't listen to us. They tried to release the Kraken and let him steal the election. And then the last one, the jury is still out on that, but I am confident that it will emerge. Steve, are you saying you're always right? Oh, no. Here's the next list. Things I was wrong about. The Tea Party. For every Jenny Beth Martin we got out of the Tea Party, we got 100 grifters. Total failure. Stay on terrestrial radio because people aren't ready for full online content yet. This is the only conversation I've ever had with Steven Crowder. Never spoke to him the whole time we worked together. We both went independent at the exact same time. He reached out to me, wanting to know what I was going to do, because he was thinking of going to this new thing, YouTube. And I was like, people just aren't fully digital yet. So I'm going to have to probably find a radio syndicator. I was wrong. I stuck with the conventional wisdom on that. Crowder went to YouTube, built a massive empire. You know, I had to fight, scratch, and claw for radio towers that are now completely and totally irrelevant. So I was wrong about that. Never Trump. I was wrong about that. Trump can't beat Hillary. Wrong about that. Russian collusion. I just could not believe. I could not believe Robert Mueller was going to throw his entire career away of exemplary service for a canard, ham-fisted coup attempt. He did. And then last year's Red Wedding. Oh, I was convinced the red wave was coming. It was going to be a red wedding. Wrong. This list, the things I've been the most wrong about are when I lined up with the group, when I lined up with the conventional wisdom on the right or someone's conventional wisdom on the right. Some of the most important voices in, at the, at, in, in the first era of conservative media were signed off on Never Trump, remember. Wasn't all Bill Crystal by a long shot. Ben Shapiro, Eric Erickson. These are people that, you know, Ben Shapiro still is. Eric Erickson was at one point in time as the founder of, co-founder of Red State, one of the most important figures of, in, in the conservative movement. 
And it dawned on me every time I went my own way or went the way that only, I wasn't the only one calling out COVID and people like Justin Hart, there were others. But man, it was a, it was a, it was a small group of merrymen, okay? Every time I have gone against the system, like right now I'm being told, it's over. Don't, it, it can't, it, it, polling shows, it, it, Trump can't possibly be, the whole thing is over, it's done. It's, that is the over, how many people are saying what I am saying about this race right now? It's not many. I'm not the only one, but it's not many. I can't think of a time in my career that I bucked conventional wisdom and was wrong. And I can't think of a time in my career that my thoughts aligned with conventional wisdom and I turned out to be right. Now, I can't contrive going against the grain. I mean, in both cases, I did what I thought was earnestly right at the time. But if there's a trend line in these things, it's when I go against the conventional wisdom of my own industry or movement, I tend to be right. When I go with it, I tend to be wrong. I don't know what that means, but it's just the kind of thing that you start thinking about when you're pushing 50 and you're looking big picture at, did I make a difference? What am I going to do with the rest of the time I have left? And gentlemen, we have two and a half minutes left. I, I yield it to you to say whatever you would like in response to what I just laid out. I think you pretty much summed up uh, at least the secular version of the narrow gate. This It's... You, you're, you, you, in your book of, uh, what, 10 political, what's the actual time? You, you lay out one of them as never accept the premise. Mm-hmm. And, and really, coming to know you and be next to you this, uh, you know, this close day after day after day working, the consistency of that spirit, uh, the authenticity behind it is just most people, not only in this industry, but just the sheep out there in the world, they're sheep because they just very easily default to the lowest common denominator. And mm-hmm. that's how premises are often formed so that the people in power can leverage the sheep. Uh, and it's abundantly clear to say whatever you want about Steve Dace, but he's not going to be your damn sheep. Someone in the wall next to me is farting very loudly. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Must have had Taco Bell last night. We, we asked this audience to put up with so much, not to mention ourselves. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, I think these, these two lists, you know, you can, you can squabble all you want with the exact wording. But generally speaking, now, you can get into reactionaryism, but I don't think pretty much none of these moves, right or wrong, were reactionary. They were convictional on some level. I think the difference between, and I think the lesson here, as I try to talk over this drill, I think the lesson here is that generally speaking, when you, con- when you buck conventional wisdom backed by conviction, generally speaking, you will be right more often than you are wrong. Now, if you buck conventional wisdom for the sake of bucking conventional wisdom, exactly. you just become it. a douchebag. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> That's yes. basically what exactly. you become. Yeah. But uh, thank God, most of these, I, I would say pretty much all of these, at least at some level, there was some conviction that you possessed that drove you to do what you did. Now, not nearly the conviction that exists with what is going on in the office next door. I mean, these guys, they mean it, man. They, they absolutely mean it. And to the point that I actually forgot that we don't have two minutes left. We have like four and a half because 
I don't know how you guys are keeping your focus right now, but I'm having a hard time doing it. Okay, it's a long Unbelievable. day. Unbelievable. This is. Ab- Do we even know what's what? This- I have no idea. This is this like a radio noise. garage company over there? Where they cut no. radio commercials no. next door. No, no. This is one in between them. Actually, I have no idea. It seems like they're just making noise to make noise. You want to play? Guess the tool. Guess the power tool. There's a jackhammer. And like a mighty Stop the hammering! I do think from... Back to this list for a second as we try to see if we can land this plane with all the distractions. Right now, the stewardesses are trying to get (laughs) the passengers to calm down and take their seats. Where the sweat is just like (laughs) pouring down. (laughs) Yes. All right. I've got this. I've got this. Um, Moving forward, here's what this list does tell me. As I said a minute ago, and Aaron, you reiterated it. I can't contrive contrarianism, right? If I'm just doing it because to just do it, then then that list might just reverse itself. You know what I'm saying? But I am going to, from, from now on, I'm going to test my convictions and ask myself, am I sure that I'm not just using conventional information to draw my conclusions? How about that? I'm not just using conventional information. I'm I'm willing to... Con- and, and, and I don't mean we're making the friggin' frogs gay. That's not what I mean by unconventional information. Like actual information. Just maybe unconventional in its sourcing. Like what we did with COVID, for example. We went against the conventional data because we had unconventional information from other countries that showed this was BS, right? Mm-hmm. The reason why I don't buy into the whole thing the primary is over right now is because I've looked at the information that claims that it is, and if you look at it historically and critically, it is more often proven to be complete and total BS than it is proven to be accurate. Now, I might be wrong about that, right? Like, we could be sitting here at the end of the year and DeSantis has dropped out, doesn't even make it to I, where we're like, well, I guess we should have saw that coming, okay? But that'll be... that. that will, I will be wrong not because of the information that I'm using to make the decision I'm making right now. It's just that I was wrong. Some better information happened. I'm not God. I can't see the future all of the time. But um, I, I think that this also explains the, ch- the greatest challenge of doing this job. Other than when the office space next door to you decides to completely remodel themselves while you're doing a live show. Other than that challenge. The greatest challenge of doing this job is how do I know for sure the information that I am basing the commentary that I'm giving you on is accurate? That's the hardest part of this job. And it's going to get harder because the main corporate outlets are going to increasingly go from bias to malevolence. And in response, a lot of the right is going to say, well, we need our own propaganda and fake news to combat their propaganda and fake news. And guys, I'm a Christian. I'm not allowed to do propaganda and fake news. That's a commandment, by the way. Isn't it something about bearing false witness, right? So propaganda and fake news kind of not our jam on on the Mm -hmm. Christian's biblical worldview side of things. And that is going to, at times, put me at odds with people I largely agree with in, in other contexts because... I may think your information is coming from a flawed premise. Like right now, it may be true that Donald Trump has a, this is an unwinnable race for Ron DeSantis, but it's not because of the polling. The polling is a crock and has been, and I mean, I remember 48 hours before the 2010 gubernatorial campaign, Bob Vanderplas was going to lose by 30 points, according to the Des Moines Register poll. 48 hours later, he damn near won the gubernatorial primary. So 
I don't know what it means moving forward and why you should frankly care, but like I said, you start hitting you hit a milestone like 50, you start assessing things and reassessing things and where am I at? Where am I going? And am I on the right track? And that just kind of stuck out to me and I wanted to share it. Like they wanted to share wherever it is the Sam Hill are doing next door with the, with all of America. It They're is, sharing that with you too. The list is helpful. A lot of people say they're a contrarian and you're actually just a hack. That, that, you got to see that. Hey, no, it actually worked out. John 317.